Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 191 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I got my partner in crime here with me, Byron. How are you, Byron? Gary, doing great. We have a sweet episode. We got. We have a very sweet episode. <laughs> Nick Gregoriadis is on today. Um, he's basically a, a top-level black belt, and he's going to be here to uh, uh, talk to us and uh, you know definitely help us on our journey. That's right. We have an article by our friend Miles Brown, and we actually get him on this show again. This is kind of being a, a fun thing that we've been doing with some people who write articles. And we have a Matt Tales, Gary, my man. Oh, thank you, uh, whoever sent in the Matt Tale. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, it's a good one. It, you know, a lot of our Matt tales are just kind of a sad story or like a series of bad things that happen to somebody. This is a win. So, oh yeah, uh, this is this is the Matt tale from our buddy uh, Adrian out in Australia. So, thank you, Adrian. You saved me today. <laughs> so you'll enjoy the you. show. You'll enjoy yeah. that as well. So we got a lot of good I, stuff. Yeah. Yep. I definitely owe Adrian a solo. I have to uh, send him one. <laughs> Hey, I uh, just want to let everybody know the way to never miss one of these shows. Uh, I know we're all got busy lives, and sometimes uh, we forget about the most important day of the week, Monday, uh, when uh, BJJ Brick comes to you hot and fresh. But you'll never miss an episode if you get on our email list. So uh, definitely we have a link on our show notes. Uh, put your email address in there, and each and every week we will deliver uh, show notes to you hot and fresh. Yep, they're going to have links to everything, uh, like uh, Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, which is where you'll find Nick Gregoratis, and, of course, uh, Forge Fitness Studios, where you'll find the article of the week. So all the links will be in there for you, and this is an article that uh, that you'll need to go read because we don't you know, break it down paragraph by paragraph this week. But uh, it's a great article. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about an audio book uh, called Your First Year of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if you are in that situation... I'm happy to help you. The audiobook walks you through uh, basically what's going to happen in your first year, maybe some hurdles that you might have to get over and uh, what to expect. And a big part of the book is a technique portion of the book. And you might be saying, it's an audiobook. How could I learn techniques in an audiobook? And I don't teach techniques in an audiobook. I'm, I'm just talking about what techniques I recommend that you focus on because it's so easy uh, this day and age to get online and to see all these really cool flashy techniques. And your first year, if you really work on the things that I recommend in the audiobook, I feel that that's the best use of your time as far as getting uh, as good as you can at a quick pace for for your own self. If you're young and athletic, you'll get be- you know a little better quicker than if you're older and non-athletic. But we all want to do the best that we can by focusing on the right techniques for the right positions, I think that is a huge factor in having the feeling that you're doing good your first year. And that's why it's such a big part of the audiobook. The audiobook is eleven ninety nine. The money helps support the show, and it's been uh, really great uh, for doing that. And we've got a lot of great feedback from the audiobook as well. So check it out. There'll be a link to it in the show notes on the website, bjjbrick.com, or in your inbox if you're in the email list. So uh, we just want to thank everybody who's got audiobooks from that. Uh, <clears throat> just want to thank all the recent purchases of audiobooks. Gary, we've got a quote this week from Robert Louis Stevenson. 
He's a. Isn't he a purple belt? Uh, you know, I don't know how. You know, I kind of think he is. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll say he is. Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and upgrade him to a purple belt. I think last time I saw him, you know, I it was a it was four stripe blue. So, and that was that's been a long time, and I, he's probably dead yeah. by now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that he said, "Do not judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant." And that's a long term way of thinking. You know, it would be easy just to judge uh, a farmer as they go out and they and they do their farming work. Okay, how much did you produce today? Nothing. How much did you produce today? Nothing. Months go by. Nothing, nothing. Finally, harvest day, and they say, here's how much I produced. And they have a a big reward to show for that. They have, you know, what's going to be their income for a large chunk of their year. It, It will happen in a short amount of time. But you need to invest that time beforehand and all that hard work each day planting those seeds and 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 doing all the hard work and all the labor that is done to get the harvest and this is a similar journey you you really don't judge each day whether you did great today or not but did you learn a little something are you you continuing to get better at your training you know that's what i like about this quote is I, i know he's talking about you know, farming or, or just life in general, probably never even once thought about jujitsu, but man, this hits jujitsu right on the head. I mean, you think about when you start jujitsu, you know, absolutely nothing, but each day you just learn a little bit and you just keep, it just keeps compounding over. It's like interest. You just keep adding more and more to it. Uh, you know, you're going to forget some stuff. You're going to remember it all. Um, but it's such a long process to get good at jiu-jitsu, to, to start excelling at jiu-jitsu. It's not something you're going to do, you know, right off the bat. I mean, you may show up to your very first class. You may have have watched a little bit of jiu-jitsu, be an athletic person, and get paired up with a, with another newcomer and actually tap that person out by the little bit you've watched in the UFC and, and messed around with your friends on the playground. But, you know... Do you really judge yourself by getting that one tap that day? It's, you know, if you just keep with it every day, you're just going to, you know, get a little bit better. And, and I kind of think back from when Byron and I, you know, first started. And just to let everybody know, I've been training a little bit longer than Byron, um, just so Byron knows that too, that yeah. I've got more time in the math than him. But remember when we first started training Byron, we were awful. <laughs> if we went at it, it was like a, uh, I mean, it was just awful. There was no semblance of technique, uh, you know, really about anything. We, we just tried to do it. But, you know, we showed up. We, you know, you you put a picture up the other day or a picture up on Facebook. And uh, it was your last day as a blue belt or last day as a white belt. Yeah. I mean, you got promoted. But you said one thing, uh, you know, you, you may – I forgot exact words you used. But you said – you always showed up to class and you listened to your instructor. You know, if you do those two things, you will make it. And that's kind of what this reminds me of, you know, but by the seeds that you plant. You know, you're going to plant seeds by showing up and listen to your instructor. And, uh, you know, that just 100% reminds me of, of what you put up there that day. You, you, and uh, and now look at you. Um, so <laughs> I'm not as uh, as handsome as I used to be, Gary. So don't look at me that well. I'm, I looked yeah. up uh, Robert Lois Stevenson. He actually died in 1894, and he was a, a Scottish novelist, poet, and essayist. He wrote the uh, the work Treasure Island. Have you heard of that, Gary? Man, you know the crazy thing is here we are 
you can uh, ask us about Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, and we know everything about it. You can ask us about uh, um, Jiu-Jitsu Times. We know all about it. But it's pretty bad that we really didn't know who Robert Louis Stevenson was, the guy who wrote such a famous book, Treasure Island. And uh, that's pretty bad. I need to uh, uh, find another hobby and and a little less in jiu-jitsu and a little more in uh, in literary works or something. Well, what nobody knows is I had to edit out when Gary said such a great movie, Treasure Island, when the Muppets take over. Um, so so <laughs> that part Gary said on accident just a second ago, had to cut it out. Hey, Gary, actually, that was a novel first or a book. And, uh, and now, now he looks a little smarter than that. All right, Gary? Uh, Byron, you got me good on that one. <laughs> I'll give that one to you. All right. All right. Well, uh, the art, the quote, I think it's a good, it's a fun quote just to kind of keep you motivated. Yeah. Don't worry about what yeah. you did today. As long as you're headed in the right direction, the day that the farmer is pulling out weeds or, you know, maintaining the crop, isn't that exciting? It doesn't feel very rewarding. And that's what a lot of juice feels like. It just seems like I did the same thing I did yesterday and didn't get any better. But really you are growing and you're developing. Uh, sometimes it's, it's underneath the soil. You don't really see it. You like that, Gary? Yep, that, that's awesome. That, that really is. Uh, I hate to say it, but this one – well, I don't hate to say it, but this quote has got me fired up. Uh, I, I really like this quote. It's one of my favorites that, we, that we've uh, used. All right, Gary. It's time to get fired up for the interview. Nick Gregoriatis. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. I have tapped out many black belts – with what I call a reverse armbar. I bend the elbow the correct way. No one knows why so many black belts have tapped to this, but they do. When I'm cutting weight and I'm hungry, I've been known to eat my opponent's fear by the bowlful. My thumbprint is on the pattern of a gold weave key. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Nick Gregoriatis to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Nick, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Good to be chatting with you finally. Yeah, we uh, we've had a few uh, contacts uh, back and forth online, and finally uh, got our schedules matched up. And I'm really excited to have you on the show, uh, Nick. Uh, you've got uh, a lot to talk about with us today. Could you kind of introduce yourself, if somebody who doesn't know who you are, just kind of introduce yourself uh, to the audience, please? Sure thing, bud. Uh, so I'm from Cape Town in South Africa, and I've been doing grappling and jujitsu for. Uh, 18 or 19 years and I got my black belt in jiu-jitsu from Roger Gracie while I was training in London and at the moment I'm the head of the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood uh, fund, uh, organization which is it's basically a, a worldwide movement that is designed to foster a sense of camaraderie between all jiu-jitsu players so that is the short version of the resume. <laughs> and were you uh, Hodger's first black belt, or what's the story with that? I was indeed. I was indeed. Trained hard, trained smart, 
and got the black belt from Roger. And and how long did it take you to get to that uh, to the black belt? Well, man, it took me four and a half years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, from white to black. Uh, keep in mind that it's a little bit misleading because I was a I was a reasonably good grappler before that. I'd done it's a little bit of judo, a little bit of submission wrestling. So it's not like I was just a guy who walked off the street with no experience um, in martial arts and in grappling in particular. So, yeah, about four and a half years. Uh, a little bit of judo. How how much judo have you actually done before uh, you really picked up jiu-jitsu? Um, so I was doing judo as a junior from the age, on and off from the ages of seven to about 15. And I got the brown belt in judo. So I never really went for the downgrade. So uh, I did it. I did my fair share, and that that and uh, some submission wrestling translated over pretty well for you. Oh yeah, I mean because you know there's there's such overlap, right? It's that's why when the, the judo like um, high level judo dude pitches up at at a jiu jitsu class, I mean more more often than not he beats up the other white belts pretty quickly, and they have to give him a blue or purple belt pretty soon, or else. He starts making other guys feel bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you said you're from uh, Cape Town, South Africa, and you've ended up in London. Tell me a little bit about that journey and where you've been in between. Yeah. So I, I don't actually live in London, but I am in London at the moment. Um, at the last four years, I, I've been on this nomad kick, just traveling with no fixed address. Uh, that's coming to an end now because I'm, I'm going to be moving to the U.S., um, towards the end of the year. Uh, and I guess where I came from or how that happened to be is, um, got to, I think I was 22 or 23 and I just, I just wanted to leave home, dude. I was just bored of, bored of South Africa and I wanted to experience the world a little bit. And, um, the easiest thing to do for someone from, uh, that part of the world, if they want to, to travel or go live somewhere else, is, is go to um, England, which was never never really my first choice. I would have gone to the, stri- the States straight away. But it's as you know, it's not, not easy to get the, the paperwork you need to go to the States. So um, my second choice was to go to the, to the UK, which I did. Um, and then, as I said, about four years ago, just skipped out, packed my bags, started traveling. And I'd use London kind of as a base. I'd come back uh, every six months or so just to see. I have a business partner here, and um, he's got a, like an affiliated academy that I go teach at a little bit to, to just reconnect with them. Um, so that's the story. Are you traveling for pleasure, or you go around teaching seminars, or what are you doing as you travel? Uh, a bit of both, bud. I teach seminars. Uh, I, li- I like traveling, obviously, like seeing new places, but it got to the point, this was four years ago, just before I left, uh, my landlord here wanted to put my rent up, and London's one of those cities where unless you're an incredibly highly paid professional or a banker or a broker or something like that, or you have um, wealth by another means. It's, it's quite a difficult city. You know, it's, it's, you have to hustle constantly. And I remember thinking I was running the numbers and I was like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, uh, 
working to live basically, you know, and it doesn't make sense to me if, if the guy jacks up my rent and every year it's getting more and more expensive here. It doesn't make sense to me to just stay on this hamster wheel. Um, so I decided to, to try my luck out on the road. What's the, the martial arts scene like there in South Africa? In South Africa, I've, I've just been back for five months and the jiu-jitsu scene is growing really, really quickly. Uh, a friend of mine is a purple belt and he just won the Abu Dhabi Pro. Um, I think it's the first South African guy to win a title like that. So the scene is definitely growing quickly. I remember back in the day when I when I was starting to get in, interested in that, the submission grappling styles and jiu-jitsu and stuff like that, there was maybe one or two academies that you could go to. And even then the guy was like usually a, a blue belt level, you know, the, the, the coach. And so getting, I always joke like getting a, a VHS, a VHS cassette with some kind of like jiu-jitsu instructional on it was a big thing. Cause this was back before the internet, you know, and, uh, the access, the access to information was so much, so restricted, but now there's, at least 10 black belts in the country, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's definitely growing, growing quickly. Well, that's, that is, uh, it's good to hear. You uh, are going to be moving to the United States. Do you have any idea where you're going to end up or what you're going to, if you're going to travel around when you get here, or what's the plan? Yeah, man, I'll be growing my, my affiliate um, network out in the States. I'll be traveling a lot within the States, but I think I'm going to live in Arizona if, I'm, if uh, everything works according to plan. I really like Arizona. I like the I like the sunshine. I like the desert. I like that. Um, I think you guys call it big sky country. Yeah, that is- yeah. Arizona's got a lot of that. I, I just I get a good vibe there. You know, for me, it's uh, the, the older I get, the more I learn about life. The more I realize that for me, it's about as hippie and cliched as it sounds. It's, it's about vibrations. It's about what feels good. What people feel good. Um, what makes me feel good. And uh, I just feel good when I'm out there, you know. Well, that's good, and that's uh, where you where you're drawn to. So, uh, exactly, yeah that that's uh, going to be a great place for you. It sounds like a good fit. I don't that, that for me that would be uh, you know a little bit harder of a place to live. It's a little bit warmer than I'm used to. Although mm-hmm. you know Kansas is pretty hot sometimes as well. But uh, you know you got to find uh, your place, and it sounds like that might be a good spot. Yeah, look, I think um, I'm always going to have that little bit of it's been so good being on the road for these four years even though it's been difficult it's been it's been a wild adventure and it's it's left a that like nomadic spirit is always going to be within me now so i don't think i'm ever going to be the kind of person who just lives 12 months in one spot you know so uh ideally my plan is to eventually have a place in um in the states in japan and in south africa and then just you know, spend four months each year in each place. Um, but even up until that happens, I'll, I'll, when I'm in the States, I'm going to be traveling around the States. So, uh, I don't think I'll ever get bored of it and I'll make sure to miss the summer months in Arizona. It's <laughs> ridiculous, right? That, that is, that's the great plan right there. This uh-huh. kind of nomadic lifestyle, how, important was it to I, I don't maybe you didn't but like to get rid of a lot of your things so you could just kind of just t- put most of your possessions in in a small 
thing and move that with you where you're going? Or do you have like a home base, a big storage thing with all your stuff? Or what's going on with your worldly possession possession? <laughs> That's a good question, Byron. Um, yeah, man, when I, when I left, it was, it was like, what do I really need? And to be fair, I didn't have that much to begin with, but, uh, definitely too much to take with me. So I was like, well, uh, let's, let's just get rid of what I don't need. So I sold some stuff and my business partner very kindly let me keep, um, a couple of suitcases at his house. Um, and that was the stuff that I didn't need all the time. You know, there's like, had some rock climbing equipment and had a suit and a pair of like boots and not, not much at all. And that stayed with him. And, uh, it's still, it's still at his house. The, the bag's gotten smaller and smaller over the years. Like every year I'd go back and take some stuff out and give some of that away. And now it's, now it's just one bag. It used to be two suitcases. Now it's just one kind of like duffel bag that's staying at his house. And I know that's probably gonna, when I go to the States, I'll take that with me. But besides that, I don't own too much, man. I reckon when I, when I get to the States and, uh, I get my place on my own again, I'll, I'll probably fall into the trap of, of getting some, some more stuff, you know, so there are, there's things to be said for, for having, um, more than just the bare minimums, definitely things to be said for that. Yeah. So, I mean, you're having to sacrifice, uh, some of the things that you might enjoy, uh, fit, you know, like items, but you're getting to travel and to see a lot more things and meet mm-hmm. more people. And so there's, mm-hmm. you know, positives and negatives to each thing. So black belt in four years from Roger Gracie and his first black belt. So uh, thinking about this, you want your first black belt to be like, that's a marker. That's, this is, okay, this is my standard here. So that one is going to have a very high standard. Not that they all don't have high standards, but you really want to set that first black belt properly to kind of gauge everybody else by. Uh, how much were you training in those four years? Was it a full-time gig? or uh, Tell me a little bit about your training process in those four years. So, Byron, I was training... Man, I, I was training a lot, but it was not all hard competition training. I was teaching a lot. I was teaching a lot of private lessons, man. Sometimes I do like between 10 and, and 20 a week. Um, that's how I was supporting myself. And yeah, teaching a lot, a lot of seminars already. I'd started teaching seminars at, uh, uh, I think Braun Belt. I'd, I'd done a couple. Um, I was always in the gym or always on the mat or like my, my life revolved around jujitsu. So it was kind of a, a super immersive, full immersion program is the way I describe it. You know, it's like, it wasn't just like the time spent, the actual minutes on the clock spent like gripping and grabbing and wrestling and trying to choke the guy. It was more surrounding myself with the lifestyle and that included working out and studying nutrition and going to competitions to help coach the other dudes and does that make sense what, what i'm saying yeah it wasn't you, all you, you just competition style training it sounds like you learned a lot from actually teaching and and became a good instructor as well oh without question i, I often think of that time uh in particular the, the private lessons that helped me so much because you know i'd sit in on a class i'd get shown something and then i'd you know teach three or four hours that day and I could just reinforce that 
that lesson into my mind by just repeating it over and over again during that those private lessons. So that was a great blessing. I, at the time, it was it was very difficult because it took it takes quite a toll on the body teaching, as you know, I'm sure, um, especially private lessons because uh, the way I teach a private lesson is uh, it's hands on, man. It's not just I don't just take a, an ookie and just. Um, well, I do now, but back in the day, I would I would literally be letting the guy test this stuff on me and throw me around and choke me, and I'd be sparring with him and trying to help him get better, and that was pretty tough physically, pretty demanding. So, um, but at the same time, there's very few ways to learn more quickly. I think about teaching jujitsu. I don't. I don't really. I don't teach private lessons, so that's something I haven't experienced. But I teach an occasional class. Yeah. What's the? How do you let the student kind of decide what they want to work on and ask you questions, or do you have a something that you uh, think will fit them well? How do you decide what you're doing today at a private lesson? Uh, it's it very much comes down to the student. You know, some some of them specifically will will, will will have a specific question. They'll say, "I've been I've been struggling with X Y Z position, or this guy keeps catching me with this, whatever it is," but. Others actually just want you to take control of the lesson and, and they want to basically, I don't want to say switch their brains off, but they they kind of want to just be taught, if that makes sense. So I would, I mean, the, the, the students pay me the money, so I, I, I want to give him what he wants. And it's a, it's kind of a, it's a balancing act between giving him what, what he wants and what I think he needs, you know? Uh, some students are more forceful with with their requests, and, and others are just like, "I just show me whatever you think I need to know." So uh, that's how I'd approach it. You had an interesting comment. Sometimes a student will say, "I've been struggling with this." How important is it for a student to to look at their game as far as the weaknesses and get those fixed, versus come in and say, "Hey, I'm really good at this. How can I make it even better?" Could you maybe talk a little bit about those two different? ideas of training and which one uh pays off for who better yeah that's that's interesting i I personally think that um i'm the kind of guy the way my mind works is you keep strengthening your weaknesses until you have very few weaknesses and everything's a strength uh that's always been my i'm kind of like a defense first guy um so but that isn't necessarily the only or best strategy. Some some people would say, and they would make a good argument that uh, the guys who get really good at competitions are just the guys who know three techniques exceptionally well. Um, but that's never really been my my style of teaching or my approach. Uh, even now, after all this training and all this time, like I'll still sit down periodically and ask the question. I think the best way <laughs> for me, the smartest way to do it is you say, if you were fighting someone in a competition, a really important competition next week, let's say, or a super fight, right? And your worst enemy wanted to go over to that opponent and give them a strategy on how to beat you. What would that strategy be? And that will very quickly reveal where you need to train. So if, for example, I am, very vulnerable to attacks when I'm on the bottom in half guard and my enemy would go over to, to my opponent and say, Hey, next, 
like make sure you get into his half guard and he's weak with he's weak from there and like you can catch him in a a bravo choke or ezekiel or you can attack with a knee bar or whatever it is and he's vulnerable to that uh or they might say something like uh he doesn't know how to pass a single leg x uh, and do you know what I mean? That that's the quickest way for me to find out what I need to work on. Yeah, it's inter- it's an interesting concept. I'm trying to. Uh, that was a good example about your having an enemy tell your opponent exactly how to take you apart. Because there's a difference to me in being a defensive fighter or learning or focusing on defense and uh, tightening up your weak areas. Because I have. I'm a little bit older of a guy. A lot of my injuries that I've gotten, luckily haven't been too bad, but I've I've gotten some uh, annoying things that have been for me. I'm like getting a little bit inverted or getting stacked. And so I <clears throat> avoid inverting. So my inverting game is basically non-existent. Uh, but that really isn't a, I don't know if that's a weakness of my game. It's not a place where I'm going to be uh, putting myself and and really, uh, you know what I mean. It, it, to me, there's a difference between uh, having parts of my game that maybe just I don't have that. But it's mm-hmm. not like I don't have a mount escape or a back control escape or something like that. Um, does that make sense? Am I? Yeah, it makes total sense. So there's a difference sense. between uh, being defensive or learning those or tightening up your weak areas versus not having some areas developed and maybe as a more of an offensive thing. Yeah. So I guess a, bit, a way to describe it would be, uh, having this information, let's say I was trying to fight you for, uh, you and I were having an important match. I would try to stack you. Yeah. Right. So the part of your game that you'd have to work with is stack counters, not inverting. If that makes sense. Yeah. Or the, the part of my game I would want to work on is just play top and not yeah. get stacked. Yeah, just get on top, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's – yeah, it's an inter- interesting – but I'm not going to put myself purposely in a place where I might – for me, it's it, it, I'm avoiding injuries. But it would be a very ineffective part of my game even if I didn't get injured because I haven't <laughs> developed it. But I haven't really seen any negative things for myself because there, I only have so much time to train anyway, and I might as well uh, train at things I'm interested in I'm, I'm, and they'll actually be able to physically do. Does that make sense? I don't know if... It does. Maybe a better way to put this is, uh, do you compete much? No, I haven't competed for years. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, me, me neither. It's been a while. Um, or just look at how you... Like, if you if you looked at your last 10 rolls, uh, just look at how you lose if yeah. you lose. And look at where you like mo- which position you spend the most time in. So if you know you you keep finding the guy keeps passing your guard and dominating you from side mount, then you got to work on guard retention, or you got to work on side mount escapes. You know, um, maybe that's a better way to think about it. Okay. That yeah, that does make. I think that's getting. <laughs> I feel like I'm a step behind. Yeah, that that does make sense. Um, could you maybe ex- tell me about your game? as a brown belt and and how that's uh, you, I don't think you were brown belt very long but just you were competing at the time if, that, if that's correct yeah man to, to be honest Brian that was nine years ago so I'm gonna okay. have to dig deep um <laughs> but but I mean since then you you've focused a lot more on teaching and and instructing but as a brown belt you were competing at high levels and and really f- competing against the best there so th- yeah, the difference so, there might be quite a bit of difference with your training or yeah. your, your style 
so nine years ago, I was 26 years old. Um, and I remember that I often say to people like in my, in my mid to even late twenties, I could, I could literally run through a wall and be fine. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I could, I could train weights in the morning, teach three private lessons and then go to the competition class at night and then wake up the next day and do it all over again. You know, um, it's, you, how old are you, Byron? Uh, 37. Hey, same as me. Okay, cool. So, you know what it's like? You're, you're just a different animal back in, when you're, when you're in your, your twenties or mid twenties. You're literally just a different animal. And there are far, there's a, there's a very different game that's available to you, right? Like your body's more springy. It's more, um, Ah, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It can take more punishment. You're more agile. You can push harder because your cardio is, and just naturally you have better, better endurance. So you can naturally be more aggressive and dynamic. And I think as you, as you age and you become a little bit more aware of your own <laughs> mortality and, uh, you know, some of those attributes wane, you naturally adopt a sort of more, counter-attacking sort of style. Excuse me, that's that's been my experience. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, oh, it, so, so, sorry, you wanted to know what I what my game was like? No, as a I, this is this is an interesting concept as well because I I went through a similar uh, change in in uh, training. Uh, it was a different animal. I mean, I'm trying to think of like the honey badger. Honey badger doesn't care about really anything it, it, it you know you you said walk through run through a wall or you know train weights and, right and therefore you go actually train and 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 do all this physical stuff and and your body just doesn't mind it, it's going to respond well i remember when i was younger i would go to bed sore and wake up fine now i go to bed okay and, and wake up more sore than when i <laughs> laid down it's, it's just and you have to adapt to that and if you uh, can't make those changes physically on the mat and then also mentally kind of realize what's happening to your body. It's going to be yeah. a hard transition for you. And I'm not saying I, I really don't believe that, that aging is, is um, intrinsically tied to decline in, in certain ways. My body is better than it was. I'm actually more flexible um, as a result of all my, my devotion to stretching and yoga. And I'm stronger in certain ways. I know much more about my body. Um, and I would, another thing that, uh, I've mentioned in a lot of my articles and, and other interviews, one of my favorite, uh, it's a little, little Jedi trick that my, my first coach gave me, which he says the, he said the best benchmark for your progress is each year on your birthday, you ask if you could beat yourself from the year before. And to me, I think the 37 year old Nick would definitely beat the 26 year old Nick or the 28 year old Nick. Um, I actually got those numbers wrong, dude. I got them totally wrong. When nine years ago, when I was a brown belt, I was 28, not 26. My, my math, I can't believe it says something so stupid. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the 20, the 28, the 37 year old Nick would definitely beat the 28 year old Nick because I just know how to operate this vehicle more, more efficiently, you know? Um, now whether, uh, he could beat the 28 year old Nick five days in a row, I don't think so. But um, definitely, definitely a single sparring match. I hadn't thought about the five days in a row thing. You're given the advantage 
uh, to the guy who's going to recover every day a little bit quicker, possibly. But uh, <laughs> I, that's an interesting concept. So the 37-year-old Byron, I can go beat the, the guy who was 36, I think, pretty easily. Uh, that's good. Then you're on the right path. Yeah. But yeah. another thing that will happen to me someday, eventually I'll be you know, 47, 57, 67, and that guy may not be able to beat be the guy that was a year younger. Yeah. And that the doesn't... answer will be known. Uh, like I say in that, that movie I uh, released a few months ago, The Soul of Jiu-Jitsu, um, one day the sword is going to break, right? Because uh, I, I, I use that analogy that the, the, the training process is, is similar to the process of working on a sword, right? Your, your Jiu-Jitsu is the sword that you're crafting and, and you're constantly through training and your meditation and your nutrition and your focus, you're constantly just crafting and polishing that sword, looking for that perfect expression and even if you manage to get to that that place one day you're you you're gonna have to the sword is gonna break because age is gonna catch up with you catches up with everyone um but we still do it we're still working on the sword and that that is a fascinating thing in my my opinion when the sword does break the good thing is there's other reasons why you're training jujitsu not just to get better than uh, it's great to be better than you were yesterday or last year, but uh, I mean, I take us right back to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. There's great social aspects of training. If you're 67 years old and you're on the mat, you're training Jiu-Jitsu, you're you're having a exercise that's fun, and you're, you're with a group of people who are are having a great time with you. There, I mean, I don't I, I don't think it'll bother me a whole lot when I start to decline in my performance on the mat, as long as I'm still enjoying the process and still learning. Yeah, and keep in mind that uh, it's another thing a lot of people don't um, get is that your benchmark, okay, so that's a good benchmark uh, yourself from a year ago, right? But another good benchmark is someone the same age as you with the same level of experience and physical attributes. So I'll get a dude email me, he'll say, Nick, I'm struggling, I'm 45 years old, I'm a white belt, I weigh 140 pounds and man, these guys are just beating me up in class. I don't seem to be getting better. All the young, all the young guys are beating me up and I'll have to explain to the guy. It's because you're using the wrong benchmark, right? Wait until the next 45 year old white belt arrives at the academy. The new white belt is your age and your, your approximately your size and, and, and height and strength. And then spar with him, and you'll, if you've been training properly, you'll thrash him. Right? And then you'll see the progress if you, if you use the correct benchmark. That's why, that's why there's belt levels in competitions, and that's why there's the master's division, and that's why there's weight uh, divisions. It's because we all have a different set of attributes and abilities and things that we bring to the table, you know? So you, it always, it always amazes me how guys will, will, be like, oh, I've been training for two years and I'm a blue belt. And uh, this rugby player came in the other day. He plays for the England rugby team. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of the stuff that, that like I've been learning didn't work on him. And I'm like, yeah, it's because he's a athletic, young, strong person who understands body mechanics. And he can just out-muscle you once he's done like three weeks of training, once he gets the basics of it. like He's, of course, going to beat the... 50-year-old dad who has arthritis in his knees. It's obvious, right? But people 
as much as jiu-jitsu is magic and amazing, it's also not magic, if you know what I mean. It's not like the, the secret thing that allows you to overcome nature, you know? Yeah. Another thing to that same guy who's the oldest grappler in the room and he's feeling like, I, I'm i not getting any better. These guys are, are just way more athletic than me and it's, I can't make up the difference. In his age category, everybody else is on the couch or uh, at best, you know, going for a jog or, or going to the gym, you know, working out. But they're not in there on the mat with these studs. And so he's already light years ahead of, of everybody else in his age category. Yeah. And I respect those guys much more. Like someone said to me, who, who's, who do you look up to in, in jiu-jitsu? And if you had asked me that before I was 35, I would have said Roger or Marcelo or Braulio or whoever, right? Like one of the top dudes. And now I've realized, no, man, the person I admire the most is that guy who is 39 years old and working at an intense job and he's got three kids and he's exhausted at the end of the day and he doesn't, he's not like naturally good at jujitsu, but he started late in life and he comes to the gym and it's very difficult for him, but he still comes. He still comes and he, he does his thing and he, you know, he, he conquers his or he faces his demons and, and tries to conquer them. That's the guy I respect the most now. Yeah. There's a lot off the mat that has to be, uh, conquered and, and defeated. And you can say the same thing about uh, women. So you might go to a tournament and there's a men's division with 16 guys in it and they have a big, you know, big brackets and the women's division has four and, and, yeah. and somebody might get gold. Well, you had, you know, you had a match, you had a couple matches with these, with these other ladies, but so much of the struggle of being a female on the mat just is so difficult that four compared to the 16 of the guys that showed up, were able to actually uh, decide to do this, train hard for it, and compete. It's, it's yeah, just, it takes those a special four are, kind of, um, it takes a special kind of woman to do jiu-jitsu. Like, it, it really does. And, you know, if I'm honest, jiu-jitsu is always, always easy for me, uh, especially the first few years. It was, you know, I was just a young, strong guy. I was intelligent. Uh, was intelligent. I like to consider I am intelligent. So I picked it up quickly. Um, I was focused. I had an aptitude for it. I already had some experience with grappling, as I said before, and it was, it was pretty easy and I picked it up quickly and it's only when it started to get hard when I was, when everyone else started to catch up, you know, like the jiu-jitsu of today is much more difficult than, or or much higher level than the jiu-jitsu of even five years ago. So now the gulf between like a good guy and everyone else is way, way smaller. And it's not easy for me anymore, jiu-jitsu. It's just, it's not easy. When I go to the gym, like if I'm I'm in London now and I go to Rogers Academy, man, I I have to, I, I now understand, I have a lot more empathy for what it must be like for, um, a beginner or a girl who like goes into the shark tank, you know, obviously I'm not a woman, but I can kind of understand that like, for me, I think it must be quite similar when I go to the Academy and there's like a 25 year old, 140 kilogram, uh, sorry, not 140 kilogram, um, 120 kilogram black belt beast who's smashing everyone in comps. Like, and I've got to spar with this guy. That's kind of probably what it's like for, 
a woman is just sparring with the average man. It's like she's at such a disadvantage physically. I respect them so much that they, do you know what I mean? They're going into something that they on on the back foot already. It's, it takes a special kind of woman to do jujitsu. Yeah. And that's why there's so fewer out there that do it. And that's why uh, it's so important to try to, to grow and develop that, uh, part of our community. For sure. In fact, um, we're starting, um, a jiu-jitsu sisterhood, uh, sister site to jiu-jitsu brotherhood, which is going to be up in the next few weeks. Um, <laughs> awesome. which I'm, I'm very excited about, yeah, it's going to be cool. Uh, you know, you know, Mike Bidwell from BJJ after 40. He's the guy based in upstate New York. Um, super cool dude. Uh, his wife, Sheena, who's an excellent, um, purple belt. She's going to be running the website for jiu-jitsu sisterhood. And I think she's going to be creating some really cool stuff. So I'm excited for that to be released. Awesome. And I like how you refer to it as a sister site. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's fun. And I I think of the word brotherhood um, a little differently than just a group of guys. But I, I do want to hear your definition of brotherhood and, and, and how you uh, came to you – know, that's the, your website, Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. And tell us a little bit about that journey and that uh, and where it is now. Yeah, man. I mean, like, it's just so easy to, for someone who's been doing jiu-jitsu for a while, like yourself, to identify that that camaraderie that you get. You know how the guys at the gym, you, you bond in such a cool way. I'm sure people in the military must experience it as well. I'm sure people who, uh, I don't know, like back in the day when they used to work on the floor of a stock exchange in those teams, I'm sure the people in the teams would like have that same kind of bonding. It's those, when you're in a specific kind of environment with a group of peers and you go through a set of experiences or, or um, experience a set of circumstances, it creates this natural bond. And it's, there's many different, as I said, there's many different things that can give you that bond, but I just, I feel that the jujitsu one is, it's kind of special and kind of cool. Um, and it's probably some, in somewhat due to the fact that we're trying to strangle each other all the time. <laughs> uh, it just creates this. I was thinking about it the other day. The thing that jujitsu, one of the biggest gifts that it gave me is it taught me how to move amongst men and how to be amongst men. You know, like, uh, it's something that I think is, there's a lot of a lot of study on the fact that uh, that there are no real rituals in the West, or very few real wit- rituals for men that mark, or for boys that mark the passage from uh, boyhood into adulthood, and or boyhood into manhood. And I think that jujitsu naturally gives that to to people. You know, you you're out there in this. You you with your pack. You with your tribe. You know, you learn together. You go compete together. It's a, it's an amazing experience, man. And I'm, I feel so privileged. I feel so privileged to have been a part of it or to be a part of it. And, uh, I, I think it's just a very cool thing. And that's kind of where the Jiu Jitsu Brothers sprung from. I just thought like, I want to, I want to do something surrounding that and to promote that and to just give back to that, if that makes sense. I, I, I think about the relationship I have with my brother and it is a lot different than, uh, most, social relationships. But you look at Jiu-Jitsu, I see similarities between that of the people I share the mat with. 
I'm going to pick on my brother, but if you pick on my brother, we have a problem. You know, I'm, uh, like th- that's the kind of thing that that brothers do to each other and for and with each other is, and, and that doesn't need to be males together. I mean, that, that's also with women, but um, it's just a different relationship of a close bond, friendship, and also kind of a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a rowdy side to them. You know, like mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I feel like when I think about a brotherhood and uh, I'm on the fire department and there's a, definitely a brotherhood in that. And there's, of course, there's women on the fire department and they are in, <laughs> in the brotherhood or sisterhood, if mm-hmm. you will. And yeah, is a new person on the mat. I'm going to be as polite to them as I can to be nice to them. But it's almost like, the day or maybe it takes a month or six months or a, maybe just that first day when I start kind of teasing them a little bit and their personality comes yeah. out, that's when yeah. it's like they're in, okay, you're in the brotherhood. You're, you're one of the family here with us. You know, we're here yeah. to have a good time. I completely get that. And, uh, something, um, a good fr- friend of mine, Denny Prokopos, he, he pointed it out. And when, when he did, I, I saw the wisdom in his words as he said, like, Dickheads and, and douchebags, they, when they, they come to jujitsu, they either adapt or they just naturally get pushed out, you know, because there's no place for that. There's no place for the guy with like a fragile ego or the guy just wants to intimidate and crush people. It's just, it's not, we're not on that vibe, man. We're just not on that vibe. Um, and I love that about it. You know, I think that's, that's a special thing. And that's something that you've you've seen as you've traveled the world and trained all over the place. Yeah, man, jiu-jitsu guys are the coolest guys in the world. Seriously, they're just, you know, they're all in good shape. They're all, most of them are happy because they're exercising. Most of them are, are like trying to evolve. That's why they're doing something like a martial art. They're trying to conquer themselves. You know, they have uh, good values. It's just it's the best fucking group of people in the world, dude. Yeah, I agree. And it's uh I, I enjoy being part of the community and I don't know a whole lot about other sports cultures, but I think it would be a hard thing to find something where we're so competitive with each other and then you know, Nick you tap me out nine times with the same move and you're teaching me that move and you're teaching me the defense the next day and, and so maybe I don't get tapped out, you know, maybe five <laughs> times instead. It, it's just a the the experience that we share together. I think are a big part of that. And it does drive out the people who are, who are idiots on the mat and are not nice. I think that they, they first have to overcome the disappointment of getting beat up by somebody who, uh, physically they didn't have any clue that this person could beat them up. Yeah. And then, yeah, I remember I had a private student and I found out later, like I I was kind of on friendly terms with him, like as I am with most people in my life. And, uh, I subsequently found out that he was a real dickhead. He stabbed me in the back um, when it came to something. And I looked back and I realized he was my only private student who refused to come to the class and spar with other people. He just could, he just refused to do it. Like he, he just didn't want to do it. And then Denny said to me, he said, oh, yeah, I remember I had a private student like that as well once. And he turned out to be a dick. He was the only one who wouldn't challenge himself by like, you know, going through the fire of sparring. Um, so I find that very interesting and yeah, it is definitely, as I've said on other shows, it's a a natural douchebag filter. (laughs) Yeah. The, that's an interesting test. 
Uh, I don't know if it's a like it's a red flag that they will. I mean, some people are busy and they don't have the time to get in there with the class. But if you are a student who is doing, you know, 100% private lessons, you're really missing out on a big aspect of this. And that <laughs> it could be said in one word: it's the brotherhood. You're miss, You're getting that. You're learning jujitsu. You're learning how to fight. You're learning self defense. You're getting exercise, but you're missing out on the social aspect, and that's a huge <laughs> part. You mentioned that you uh, have studied a lot about nutrition. How has that affected? Uh, your ability to have success on the mat and to be able to train the way you want to train? Well, I mean, look, anyone who's in touch with their body and, and is using their body at a, at a high level will probably tell you the same thing. And that is you are what you eat, you know, it, it, from a scientific perspective, your cells renew themselves every six years. If I'm not mistaken, you become a new person. So, uh, what you consume, is the building block or becomes the building blocks for your tissues and, and your, your cells and the tissues that they create. And, you know, if you're eating crap, uh, you're going to, your body's going to produce lower quality tissue because it's got lower quality materials to work with. And, um, remember Hickson, uh, said in one of his early interviews, I believe that you are what you eat, what you think, um, and, and I agree with that, man. I, I completely agree with that. So I'm always trying to eat the best quality food I can afford and find or only eat food that I believe is um, coming from a good source. Obviously, that's not always easy and it's not always practical, but I try to do it as much as possible. And I think that uh, one of the big things in, in uh, modern medicine and again, I'm not a doctor, so this is only from my own observations and my, my very limited understanding of that field. I have a business partner who's a doctor as well, so he does fill me in on some stuff. But uh, it's my understanding that one of the movements of today is uh, they're, they're looking at inflammation and how inflammation affects the body. And we're, we, we know that there is a link. There are certain foods and substances that cause increased inflammation in the body. And inflammation impairs the healing process, right? It slows it down and retards the healing process. So if you're training hard, you're, you're naturally going to be inflaming your body because you're breaking down tissue in the training process. So if you go and drink a bunch and eat a bunch of sugar and eat a bunch of food that causes inflammation, then you're compounding that effect and it's going to take much longer to heal and you're going to degrade your performance. So it makes sense to me that you wouldn't want to do that. You would want to eat um, the highest quality food that doesn't cause inflammation. Uh, is, is that, does that answer give you a, a bit of a picture of, of yeah, that's a great, uh, great example and of why healthy eating is important. You mentioned that you eat the highest quality food you could afford. What are some, healthy foods, high quality foods that aren't that expensive that somebody could get out there and try today? So one of the things that, especially this is good for me, I travel, so I don't have that much control of my, my diet because I might arrive in Malaysia and, you know, my host will take me to a restaurant that night, you know, and I, within those parameters, I'll try to eat as well as I can, but it's not always possible. We might go to a place that just has deep fried food or, um, so I, I try, try to keep a green drink with me at all times. And in that way, especially if it's a quality green drink, the one I take is 
absolutely exceptional. It's called Maximum Vibrance by a company called Vibrant Health. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that this is helping me with my, my training and my health. It's got high quality ingredients. I feel better on the days I take it. It helps my digestion. It gives me the servings of, of, um, vegetables and, and fruit and fiber that I might not get otherwise. And I think that's, even though it's an, ex- it's, it's quite an expensive product. I think it retails for like 50 or $60. When you count or when you do the calculation, you can see that it's only a few dollars per serving, like two to three dollars per serving. And so to me, that's a pretty inexpensive and intelligent way to, to supplement your, your nutrition because every morning it's the first thing I do. I wake up and I make a big glass of this stuff and I chug it back and Sometimes I can skip breakfast because it has a bit of plant-based protein in it as well. So it staves off the hunger of, that you have around breakfast time. And to me, that's like if I was eating out at a diner or something, a breakfast would be what, like 10 bucks. So it seems to me like a, a low cost and effective way to, it's kind of almost like a cheat way with your nutrition. You know, ideally you'd be eating exceptionally clean and taking your green drink. But if you, for whatever, reason if it's impractical to eat just chicken and broccoli <laughs> three times a day then something like a, a high quality green drink can really help nick i love how you uh start the day with that you know you get up and you have uh, your green drink that's i think that's a pretty important way to to change your diet and to have a good start to your day no matter what happens today you've had that uh that good start yeah, um, and the cool thing is you, you kill two birds with one stone because when you wake up, you're the most dehydrated you're going to be all day because you've had seven to nine hours without any um, liquid from food or water. So it kills two birds with one stone because you have your big glass of green drink and not only do you get that um, hydration, you also get a good platform of nutrition for the rest of the day. Uh, I cannot recommend... And again, I have absolutely no connection with this company, so no hidden agenda or motivation, but uh, it's a product called Maximum Vibrance by Vibrant Health. It's very, very good, and you will feel a difference when you when you start taking it regularly. Okay. I'll look that up and, and put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Nick, tell me about uh, your website, what's there. And we've Every episode, we, we talk about an article of the week, and I know we've featured several articles that you have written, but maybe just tell a little bit about um, what they can find when they go to your website. Yeah, but so Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood is uh, what I like to think uh, is a repository for very high-quality Jiu-Jitsu content, and it includes a bunch of stuff uh, on all aspects of the lifestyle. So we've got, we've got what I think are philosophical articles just explaining why do Jiu-Jitsu. Then we've got, I've got some nutrition articles. I've got some stuff on specific techniques, I've got uh, stuff on how to uh, approach your first competition. Just a bunch of diverse content surrounding the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. I, I don't think you can really pigeonhole it, except that everything on there, the thing it has in common is it has something to do with Jiu-Jitsu. And, uh, yeah, we have links to – I have a couple of free books as well. Um, there's one called Jiu-Jitsu Training Secrets, which you can get on there, which is 101 tips for, for the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. Um, I also have a free beginner's guide, which is on there. Just cool jujitsu stuff. That's the best way I can put it. Awesome. I love people helping out the uh, beginners. It's, it's so hard to start this sometimes for some people. And if you could just get that 
kind of that ball rolling downhill. Uh, once you get to enjoy it, uh, it's it's automatic. But the start could be a little a bit uphill at first. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, I'm looking at uh, you have some really cool patches on your website. Uh, the logo is is kind of is it a snake eating its own tail? Or what's going on with the logo? I don't. Yeah, that is. That. Um, that's a symbol called an Ouroboros, which it's translated from Greek. It means tail devourer. And uh, I just always liked that symbol. I just it's had always had a meaning for me. I, lo- I love the idea of. I mean, it has many different meanings. One of them is self-reflection. I've always been a pretty pensive, self-reflexive kind of guy. So that symbol always just had meaning for me. And, and I always knew it would play a, a role if I ever created a brand. I would have to incorporate the Ouroboros somehow. And so that's what I did with Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. Nick, I've had a uh, pleasure uh, talking to you today. Learned a lot. Uh, the good news is there's more to learn from you. You have a lot of great articles on the website. You also have some uh, DVDs and digital downloads. Tell us about what you have on the uh, website there. Sure thing, but if you if you guys want to visit my store, it is you can find it through jujitsubrother.com or you can go there directly by, by um, visiting store.jujitsubrother.com and we have um, a bunch of physical products. So we got like your geese, belts, rash guards, patches, some apparel like hoodies and t-shirts. And then we also have our instructional material, which includes, uh, I have a lot of conceptual based stuff. I did a series with Kit Dale called Beyond Technique, which is very popular, which is focused pretty much solely on techniques. And then I also have a, a bunch of programs on, sorry, the, the Beyond Technique is focused solely on concepts. And then I also have a bunch of technical material, including PJJ building blocks, which is, that's dedicated to beginners. It's what I believe are the most important techniques that a beginner should know. Uh, and then some more advanced stuff. We've got Flow Jitsu, which is by Mike Bidwell. Um, that's a pretty cool program. Progressive Jiu-Jitsu, which is more advanced competition-tested techniques from myself and another good black belt called Oli Geddes. We've also got my book, The Black Belt Blueprint, which I think is a great introduction to the Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. And there's new products. We're coming out with new products all the time. We just keep adding them onto the site. Yeah. One of them that kind of caught my eye is uh, yoga for grapplers. I know we have a lot of people in the audience that uh, ask me about doing yoga or they they do yoga and they are just finding jiu-jitsu. What could we find in that one? Oh, that's a good question, man. I'm I'm very proud of that product. Uh, I filmed that in Japan in in December. And... um, so it's it's not just the title is yoga for grapplers, but it's so much more than just yoga movements and yoga asanas and, and flows. It's a kind of a it's an amalgamation of everything I've learned regarding keeping the body in shape for jujitsu. A lot of it is yoga. Um, a lot of it is stretches that I've been shown by physiotherapists uh, and other body workers. A lot of it is, some of it comes from things like um, gymnastic and natural. Some of it comes from karate training. It's just every time I've met someone who's got uh, what, a, a movement or every time I met someone that had a movement that looked like it could help with maybe tight hips or neck issues or, or anything that troubled me as a someone who spent so much time on the mats, I'd ask them to teach it to me and I'd, I'd incorporate it into my routine and that subsequently became this program, Yoga for Grapplers. 
So it's designed to help with the, the core areas that I feel jiu-jitsu players struggle with, which are the, the hips, neck, and upper torso, including the, the upper back and shoulder girdle. I think those three parts of our anatomy get so jacked up from uh, consistent grappling training. So not only does it address those with uh, rehabilitative exercises, it also has strength strengthening exercises. And uh, it's just something I'm very proud of. I really wanted it to be something that a, a jiu-jitsu player could take and use to help make himself healthier, stronger, and stay on the mat for as long as possible. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, stay on the mat longer, uh, be healthier as far as, you know, hopefully it, I, I think it'll help reduce injuries, uh, maybe even increase performance with added benefits from yoga. So uh, multiple benefits uh, to that, and uh, that's something that I've, I've always been curious about, whether yoga would be good for me, but I don't really want to go to uh, a normal gym and take a yoga class because it's not going to correlate well. But yoga for grapplers, I think that's that's a perfect fit. Sure, I'm going to send you a copy. Oh, well, thanks so much, Nick, and I'll, I'll uh, definitely uh, try it out and let everybody know of the results. That sounds exciting. So uh, when I get this, what's the t- give me give me a tip? Do, do I put it in the? Do I watch the whole thing and just go along with it, or am I picking up a thing here or there and doing it before class? So uh, it comes with a user guide which will explain to you exactly how to use it. It's it's quite a long program. It's over two hours, so it's not something you do the full. You you wouldn't do the full thing every day unless you had a load of time, um, <laughs> in which case you could. Uh, but in the user guide, I explain specifically which parts to use. Like if you have tight hips, then, then watch this part. Or if you're just looking to get stronger, then watch this part. So um, it's quite specific as, as to how you would use the program. Awesome. I'm excited about it. Uh, Nick, awesome, uh, thanks so much for helping on here with me. Do you have any final thoughts or words for the audience? Uh, no, except maybe thanks to thanks to everyone in the jiu-jitsu community that has helped me be able to live this amazing life and i look forward to all the new friends that i'm going to meet on mats in the years to come well i'd love to thank nick uh for coming on to the show today and uh talking to us and talking to all the listeners here um i know we've definitely uh, learned a lot from him but i definitely want to go back and tell you to check out his website uh, jujitsubrotherhood.com Man, there's everything there. We, we've used some of his articles before, but I mean, he's got a, a DVDs for sale. He's got shirts, uh, you know, everything. There's instructionals. There's articles on this website. Um, so definitely check it out. It, it's awesome. It could be your uh, one-stop jujitsu shop. Uh, you know, a little bit of everything there for you. There you go. And, and thanks for Nick for getting on here and, and, and talking with us today and sharing uh, some of his thoughts and wisdom about jujitsu. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great to learn from Nick today. During the interview, you might have noticed Nick mentioned that he was going to send me the Yoga for Grapplers video, and he did that. And on our YouTube channel, I like to review videos that I get to try to help you out decide if the video is a good thing for you to get. So I'm going to splice in a little clip of the review I did. It's just a short part of it there. Uh, the full thing is available on YouTube. There'll be a link to it in the show notes as well. But uh, this is a short clip of the Yoga for Grapplers. Why specifically for grapplers? Well, he'll talk about it in the video, but really, as grapplers, we do certain things to our bodies. Just whatever you, however you use your body in any sport, uh, it's gonna take a toll on it. 
So uh, he's able to try to balance out some of the damage we're doing to our bodies with yoga. He's trying to, try to help strengthen us in our weak areas. And he's really big on core strength. A lot of the things he's showing here really helps you focus on your core and focus on your breathing. And these are all great for jiu-jitsu, but I, I really think that Nick has also the equivalent of a black belt in yoga. So what a great uh, person to show you these uh, techniques and the things that he's uh, picked up for yoga and jiu-jitsu. He's even talking about doing some of these things in his class, and he, you could tell if this is one of my favorite ones. We do it every day after class. He'll say things like this. What this video is not... We'll cut it right there, a little bit of a tease, and the full video is available on YouTube. Uh, check out the link in the show notes, and uh, check out the other videos there. We're doing lots of DVD reviews and product reviews for jujitsu-related things, so enjoy the YouTube channel. Today we have a really cool article this week. Um, it's something that Byron's not used to doing. As, as you know, we've talked about Byron's hair numerous times. Byron does not like to clean himself. He does not shower very often. <laughs> Um, this week we have an article called Do Ice Baths Work for Recovery? Um, it's from uh, the author is a, is a personal friend of ours, uh, Miles Brown. And the cool thing this week is we've got Miles joining us. Uh, how you doing today, Miles? Doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, man, we're just awesome that uh, you could take some time out of your busy schedule and uh, come talk about uh, ice baths. Cause, uh, oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's kind of like the cool thing. You see everybody uh, doing ice baths. And uh, so we thought we would uh, – a uh, perfect time to talk about it. But, uh, Miles, I know this is your first time you've been on the show. Uh, if you want to tell, tell all of our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, first, I guess I'm the owner of Forge Fitness Studio. So we're a personal training gym. Um, a certified personal trainer and nutritional specialist. Um, I, writing articles is sort of just a hobby of mine. We do it to, you know, just help out our clients, help out anybody who wants to listen or read to read them. Also give people a little bit of a sample as to, you know, what they'll be working with if they did want to sign up with us or work with us or whatever. So that's just a hobby of mine. We try to keep it very scientific. So it's not a whole, it's not just motivationally based or something. We try to keep it um, pretty objective. And so we just produce those once a month or so, um, and that's really about it. Been doing jujitsu, by the way, for five years, I guess. Um, CrossFit, I did for about seven years until I switched to Olympic lifting, and that's been what I've been working on for like the last three years or so. So that's the long and short of it, I guess. Miles, I'd like to ask you, who's your favorite jujitsu training partner? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've been training with Gary for how long have we been training <laughs> together, Gary? Ah, uh, like, geez, probably four or five years, I'd say. Four years, three years. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's been a long time. I've been choked out so many times by you. Uh, I can't think too well. Yeah, hang yeah, in there, Miles. In about eight years, you really actually get to like Gary. I know you'll you'll change the way you feel about him pretty soon. <laughs> Uh, welcome to, uh, really, we want to welcome you to the show, and uh, something that you're already uh, aware of right now is uh, Gary and I will take ways to kind of get jabs at each other. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a great article, and we, uh, we've we talked about a couple of articles before, but we figured it'd be great to just get you on here to actually discuss it. This is very – you mentioned that you do kind of a scientific article sometimes, and this is, seems like you studied a lot before you wrote this. Yeah, we did. I think I read – Man, it took forever. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how much time you can put into one of these things. But um, so I just got on Google Scholar and started looking at um, all the different 
studies that have been done on this topic, and I think I went through at least 20, and that was why it was... The reason I did that was because it's kind of a murky topic right now, and there's a lot of extreme opinions on both ends of the spectrum. So, and I haven't really gotten any clarity on it up until now. A lot of people have asked me about it. A lot of the athletes that I work with always have asked me, you know, do you think ice baths are a good way to recover? LeBron James uses them. You know, whoever else uses them. Wim Hof, the Iceman, uses them. Um, lots of famous people use them. And so I get lots of questions about it. But to be honest, I didn't have a good answer for people. So I was trying to get to the bottom of it. And the more I studied it, the more I realized, man, there's not like there's not that much consensus in terms of the scientific literature out there. So that was my goal with it. And I think I found some pretty cool conclusions. So, so you, you did a whole bunch of research. And uh, first off, I guess I've never taken an ice bath uh, I think a part of this is Gary wanting me just to take wait, more baths. Wait, wait, you've never taken an ice bath. Have you ever taken a bath or a shower, Byron? Well, you you always recommend it at the end of the show to to take a shower, and uh, one of these days I'm going to do it. But uh, okay. you know, like I just can't, maybe the ice bath is the right answer for hygiene or uh, for for increased performance, and that's kind of what you're looking at. But <clears throat> could you just describe what are the steps of an ice bath? Is it like a 20-minute thing, or am I dumping ice into my, my bathtub and sitting in it for two minutes, or what do people do? Uh, that's a good question. Um, a lot of, it's, There's a wide variety. Certain, certain studies have been done for like two-minute ice baths, and most are probably most are around 15 minutes in terms of the ice bath. So it's like a lot of water and then a lot of ice dumped into a bathtub, so that's how most people do it. Um, there's also cryotherapy, which is a different thing. There are these um, cryotherapy chambers where you go in and they are able to decrease the temperature to – it's actually colder than an ice bath, I think. So there's those. And then there's obviously like topical cooling where people have ice packs. So different studies have been done on all this different stuff. Um, but typically, the most practical one is just having a bunch of ice in a bathtub. That's the one that you're going to see at competitions or tournaments and stuff like that. So that's the most common. And Miles, I see uh, you put all the links to the the different uh, uh, journals you studied there to, to come to these conclusions. But yeah. so um, basically, it looks like that ice baths really don't work uh, that much to increase athletic performance. Is, is that what I'm drawing from the conclusion? Uh, that was the basic. That's a very sort of reductive um, summary of it. But yeah, there are a few studies that have shown that. Under certain circumstances, um, it can be helpful. For example, if you're outside in the heat, there were studies that showed like one group which had to recover in like direct, direct sunlight and then other groups that had to recover in an ice bath. And the ones that recovered in an ice bath ended up doing a little bit better. I thought that was kind of a weird study because there aren't that many times when you have to just sit in the heat for 15 minutes at a tournament or a competition or something. Um, so the people who took the ice bath ended up feeling better and just cause they felt better, they were able to perform better in their following events by a little bit. Um, there were other studies that they did that showed like people who were at tournaments, but didn't have to recover in the heat. They performed better than the people who took ice baths. So it's a little bit murky on that, on that point, but over the long term, the studies that show the long term recovery, long term adaptation to training, People who take ice baths regularly don't recover as well and don't perform as well as people who use other methods of recovery, like active recovery or whatever else. So, yeah, I saw that one study you did, or you, one study that you uh, uh, showed that lasted twelve weeks. You know, so a long-term study, and and that right. one was showing that uh, less strength was gained, uh, less muscle mass was gained, and and ice mm-hmm. baths blunted the activation. Uh, 
um, of key proteins. So, yeah, that was right. kind of neat. I, uh, you know, I, I really didn't know much about ice baths coming into this. Um, you know, I've seen, like you said, everybody uses them. Um, and I really thought that it would be a different study. I, I thought the conclusion would be different than it was. So, you yeah, know, it so kind of surprised I. me, but I, I really liked too with uh, all the different uh, uh, journals that you uh, presented for. Yeah, and I kind of wanted it to be legit just because an ice bath is kind of a cool thing, I feel like. It's kind of hardcore, you know. Um, but, yeah, it kind of seemed to turn out that's not the case. And it really makes sense from a physiological perspective because the healing process starts with inflammation. So if you stop inflammation, you're really stopping blood flow, and blood is the body's mechanism for bringing nutrients to the muscles and bringing protein to the muscles, and all the reparative processes start with blood flow to damaged tissue. So it kind of makes sense that if you stop that from happening, you might feel better because you feel like you've recovered. Um, but the reality is that you just stopped all the good stuff from coming to your muscles, which is what was shown in that 12-week study as well when they did the muscle biopsies and blood tests and everything. So that was pretty cool to see that sort of objectively shown. You know, I was reading an article not too long ago, and it kind of talked about ice packs uh, where it was saying, uh, you know, let's say you twist your ankle. You know, the very first thing I always did was, you know, rest, rise or rest, ice, elevation, compression. And right. now that article was telling me that ice may not be the best. And it was saying the same thing, kind of like what you just said there, where, um, you know, it doesn't get the, the blood and the nutrients to that area. And, and right. I was wondering if that's kind of like the same thing that you were talking about in this study with the ice pass. Yeah, it's similar. I think that when you get into like actual injuries, it's a little bit, there's a little bit more variation, partially because when you get, when you injure something, you might get too much inflammation. Too much inflammation can theoretically be damaging. Um, and you might have, like if you see somebody break a bone, they have a bunch of blood vessels that are pretty much, you know, destroyed. And they have, that's why they have that extreme bruising where they might break a bone or tear something. So ice might be useful, might, not a doctor, be useful for, you know, controlling the excessive inflammation in injuries. But as far as like athletic recovery, it doesn't seem to be the way to go. Also, pain management. Pain management management's an important thing. If you do get injured, ice can make you feel better. So, Well, Miles, you just said you're not a doctor, a medical doctor. But in our <laughs> eyes, you're a doctor of submission. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's a good compliment coming from here. <laughs> Miles, this is an interesting article. And you're talking about you know blood flow to help build the muscle up. But, you know, when you work out hard and you get that lactic acid built up, does the cold have an effect on that and helping that uh, either – do you want that to go away or does it help it – does it change that at all or any studies with that? Um, yeah. Most of the studies showed that it does decrease lactic acid buildup. So most of the studies that were done and that I was able to find only dealt with acute recovery. There was that 12-week one that dealt with long-term recovery, which is really more important. But acute recovery means like within an hour after working out or training. And so ice did help to decrease lactic acid buildup um, and creatine kinase, which is what it's sort of the generic blood marker for fatigue that people will measure after exercise. And that was significantly less um, when people did use ice baths. But it appears as if that's not really a good thing because that's not excessive inflammation. That's just the necessary natural inflammation that you're dulling when you use the ice bath or ice of whatever variety. All right. Well, Miles, we could sum this up. I think um, 
uh, are you taking ice baths at home or at the at the gym? <laughs> I've never taken an ice okay. bath, unfortunately. I've uh, I've been in some pretty darn cold water, which I mean, and I can. It is true that you feel better after being in a. After being in ice cold water, in my opinion, if you take a really cold shower, you guys may have done this before. You take a cold shower and you get out, you feel like invigorated. Yeah, it feels good. Um, so that seems to be a real thing, and the studies did show that too because they looked at subjective markers of fatigue as well. And people do consistently say they feel better after getting out of a cold bath or cold shower or something. Um, so that seems to be legit. Just not a great recovery modality for exercise. Okay. So yeah, I've done that and it feels good. I've I've done uh, cold showers. They don't feel that great while you're doing them, but uh, yeah, you yeah. do feel pretty good when you get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Miles, it it's been fun talking with you. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show before too long. Uh, it's always cool. so much better to get the author of an article in. And hey, buddy, I've never seen an article with this many uh, things sources cited. And I'm looking at the articles I've written. I don't think I've ever written an article that had a source. So it just shows how legitimate and how much work you actually did putting this together. And I really appreciate that. It was that. a lot of work. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's always cool when people recognize that too. So appreciate it. My only complaint, uh, Miles, would be I think you should have had a picture of me in the ice, in the water there. I think uh, I could have done that for you. You would have had to take a bath to do that, Gary. We talked <laughs> about this. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yep. <laughs> the best you're going to get, Gary, to do is drinking ice water. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Miles. It's been a pleasure. All Thank right. You, Miles. Thanks a lot, you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's that's great to have Miles on the show. We look forward to doing that again in the future. And uh, yeah, uh, if you write, we always say if you write an article, you know, send us a link uh, and we'll to bjjbrick.com or Send us a link to bjjbrick at gmail.com, and we'll try to get it on the air. But anymore, it's been like, send us an article, and maybe we'll call you and uh, get you on. And that's if you just, don't want to get on, don't give us your phone number. There you go. <laughs> but uh, it's, it, I think it's so much fun to get people, uh, more people on the show and get more interaction. And, and we're really able to ask a couple of questions to Miles and get a little bit more uh, out of them than what's in the article. And it's a great article. We we definitely did not cover it all. He has a lot of points and, and things highlighted that we didn't even cover. So if if you're taking ice packs, baths or are you know thinking about it, that's a great place to go because he did a ton of research to piece that article together. Hey, and also uh, don't forget to uh, tell all your buddies about us. Uh, our best form of flattery is when you uh, let your friends know about us, and um, also let them know about us. Not just our podcast, but check us out on social media. Uh, we're very active on Facebook. Uh, we do have a YouTube page. We have a Twitter page. Uh, we're on Reddit. Uh, so definitely uh, check us out on those different avenues and let your friends know about it. Also, uh, Gary, a couple things here before we get too far along the show. Uh, Last week we talked. We actually recorded two episodes. Uh, Gary and I did back to back. We recorded the the episode about using your gifts and your talents for jujitsu, and then we recorded uh, the introduction to the episode with Elizabeth Clay. So it's been it's been two weeks uh, since those that time, and uh, I made you know I, I need an image for the article. No, for the podcast when it comes out. Just to kind of go with it, you know, on Miles' article, he's a guy sitting there in an ice bath or in, in like a Antarctica in a pool of of icy water, and I'm trying to figure out a fun animation or a fun image with a gift or something like that in jujitsu, and I found a guy running wearing a gift costume, and then did uh, some quick 
Photoshop-like skills and put Gary's head on top of that gift. Gary, did you ever see that? No, I haven't. Okay, we're going to see this, we're going to get this live on the air, so I'll cut out uh, a little bit of our dead space here. But Gary, go to BGGbrick.com. <laughs> it is our <laughs> website. <laughs> Pull that up, and it should be, I think it's going to be the front page as of now. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to see this. Let's see. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there like, I don't have sausage legs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, nice oh, short there, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're killing me, Byron. Yeah. Well, uh, last time I did a little Photoshop <laughs> thing, Gary found out about it before, uh, before we got to get live on the air again. But uh, yeah, here we go, Gary. So there you are, running as a gift. Was this a charity event or what's going on here, my man? Yeah, it was, it was a charity event. Um, basically, what we were doing is we were trying to raise money. Um, for you, Byron. Oh man, we want. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we know that uh, we we've talked about it earlier that you don't take baths or showers. <laughs> so we were going to raise money and buy you a bathtub. Yeah, the the great thing about uh, this big gift raising thing, uh, unfortunately, it didn't make any money uh, for me or for the the show here, but. Uh, since that happened, we started our Patreon uh, page where people are able to donate money to the show. And you could donate like a dollar per episode. And uh, once a month, you'll be billed for the episodes that we, we were able to put out this month. And you could put a cap on it so you're not being billed for five of if, if there's five episodes in a month or something like that. And uh, just a way to say, hey, guys, we appreciate your show. I enjoy uh, listening to you every week. And here's, here's a, a little pat on the back. And uh, it's making us a more stable podcast, and it really helps us to develop the show into something more in the future. And if we want to get this show grown, it does take some fun sometimes. So uh, Patreon is the website you can go to help us out and support us. And the great thing is Gary won't have to run in the gift costume again because that didn't even make any money either. Nobody wanted to see those legs. (laughs) What you do? Photoshop my head. (laughs) Yeah. I I love this. At the bottom it says – this is this image is a prank that Gary was unaware of. That was good, Byron. <laughs> yeah, I had to put you on the. I, had to, I forgot I wrote that on there. Yeah, I just I think that's going to have to be my new Facebook profile. Yeah, there you go. That uh, <laughs> I think your head is too small for the size of those legs because it does look a bit funny. But yeah, I just I I I kind of wiped maybe out that guy's head. Those, and uh, maybe that's why those legs look like sausages. I okay. copied and pasted your head onto to his where his was, and and there you go. You, you, one of these days well, you'll be you'll be eighty or ninety years old, and someone will ask you about this, and they'll show you a picture, and you'll actually make up a story about how you ran in that race. Well, so. you know the thing is, a lot of people don't realize like we each have different jobs at BJJ Brick. You know, Byron's an interviewer; he runs the show. Uh, um, you know, I just sit back and I'm the the you know just mouth in every now and then but one thing that byron really hired me for is for my digital analytics you know i'm very <laughs> i'm very analytical so byron has me put in you know four or five minutes each week you know checking out uh, how many downloads we have you know uh, where the downloads are coming from the ethnic makeup and you know male female and the one thing we noticed this week was Man, we had a huge increase in female uh, audience, and uh, and now we know why. I totally understand now, so it, it makes sense. So uh, yeah, we did see a huge spike, uh, you know, when you put my picture up there. Yep, those short shorts and hairy legs. 
Man, and those and those tube socks. Man, you gotta go it on, Gary. And those beat up those old shoes tubes. don't even fit. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, swing by the website and and look up episode one eighty nine. Uh, using your gifts to get better at BJJ, you'll see a picture of Gary running as a gift. It's just a Photoshop deal, and I put his head on somebody else's uh, picture, and there you go. Gary, that's been kind yep, of fun. That, yeah. Yep. That. That segment has been brought to you by Say No to Bullies. <laughs> and yes to friends who are kind of mean. <laughs> well, I mean, we talked about this a little bit uh, in the interview about what is brotherhood. And it's a different kind of uh, like a friendship. You know, you're, you're friends with somebody, you're nice to them. Uh, brotherhood, to me, it takes on a little bit of that picking on somebody sometimes and being and getting that from them as well. And that's, that, and that's just kind of a, a fun thing. You know, you got to be able to, to, to pick on each oh, other and have fun yeah. at Gary's expense yeah. anyway. Yes. I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I think it's great. I know the last time you did the, uh, the speed and BJJ one, I put that up on my Facebook page. And this one, uh, is going to be another one that goes up. I, yeah. I like them. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that I can be here so you can have somebody to make fun of. <laughs> So am I, Gary. <laughs> I'm also glad. Well, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> also glad we have a Matt Tales. This is Matt Tales. We bring you amazing jujitsu stories. The stories might be funny, unfortunate. It could be about an epic fail or an epic win. So sit back, my friend. Relax. Dry off your sweat from rolling and enjoy Matt Tales. Matt Tales from Australia. This is a tale of BJJ history in the olden days. And a particular day of competition comprising of good fortune, fish and chips, perseverance, making the best out of a bad situation, the value of good coaching, simplicity, and the power of Chinese whispers. The year was 2002. BJJ was still in its early days in Australia. There were only three competitions each year. The Pan Packs, the Victorian State Championship, and the Will Machado Gathering. There were no competition classes. And you would just enter a competition and see how it went. The competitions were small, and you would see and meet the same people at every competition. Most of the competitors were white belts, with only a few divisions for blue and purple. No brown and black belts, no masters, just gi one day. Just your weight and the absolute division. Furthermore, at the time, there were only two black belts in Australia, John Will and Peter D. Ben. I was a white belt and had entered the Victorian Championships. Coming off a knee injury in a couple of months off of training, I thought, might as well. I'll give it a go. My comp game was always simple. I would win or I would lose, forcing my game. In my division, things didn't go so well. I got knocked out the first round. That was a bit disappointing but not over-surprising given my lack of preparation. In those days, the absolute division was always several hours after the weight divisions. So being hungry and knowing that I was unlikely to get very far in the absolute division and I had plenty of time until my next fight, 
I consoled myself with a good feed of fish and chips. Now, I was a smaller, non-talented guy and usually entered the Absolute Division for a bit of extra competition experience, knowing full well that the big guys or the talented ones would win that division. So, engorging on fish and chips was a reasonable option for me. Three hours passed. My first fight was a bye. My second fight, also a bye. My opponents had pulled out. Awesome. This is the best I'd ever done in an absolute division. I was lucky to get through my next two fights with relative ease. And the quarters were a pushover. I couldn't believe my luck. My opponent in the semis was a beast of a man. I had a feeling my luck was going to end. We grappled. And he was all over me. I was tired, losing, and gassing out. While under sight control, I had this urge. An uncomfortable feeling in my belly. Before I knew it, I was confronted with a mouth full of regurgitated fish and chips. I could not vomit on the mat. No way. I had to make the best of this bad situation. I swallowed that vomit and carried on perseverance. Somehow, I won the fight. I'm sure I didn't win it. But, at the end, my hand was raised. And that's all that matters. I ran into the bathroom and got rid of my partially digested fish and chips into the toilet bowl. Bruce, my teammate, came back to see what I was doing. They're calling your name for the finals, man. What? I've only just come off the mats. Okay. Empty stomach. I'm ready. I was in the finals. I soaked up the atmosphere. The mats were surrounded by everyone. The smallness of the competitions in those days meant the mats were largely empty for this white belt absolute final. I saw my opponent. I'm going to get smashed. I'm fighting Goliath. My coach gave me a pep talk. The game plan is simple. No matter what happens, don't let him get on top of you. Keep him standing. Waste time. Wait until the last minute. I'll give you the signal. And then try to take him down. Okay, coach. That's what I set up to do. The match commenced. We circled each other. My stand-up was shaky at best. I went for vigorous grips, trying to get the impression I knew what I was doing. Surprisingly, my monster of an opponent did the same. The minutes ticked by. I attempted some sweeps. I kept thinking. Sweep the leg, Johnny, from the Karate Kid. Before my coach gave me the signal, it happened. My opponent did a double leg and took me down. I managed to shrimp and scramble back to my feet. So did he, but I was quicker. As he was getting up, I jumped on him. Unbalanced, he fell over. I ended up in mount, purely by chance. He threw me off. We stood up, and the buzzer went. And I had won. Six points to two. I couldn't believe my luck. I had won the absolute weight division of the state championships. I won because my coach gave me very good advice, and I was also very lucky. Postscripts. The Power of Chinese Whisper. Yes, I had won the Openweight Division. However, was I the best in the state? No way, not even close. I was proud of my medal, 
I'll take the win, but let's face it, I was under no illusion of grandeur. The facts are, good fortune, I looked upon you that day. Buys, easy fights, and a semi I still, to this day, think I lost, but somehow won. And all where I basically did nothing but be quicker at a scramble than my much bigger opponent, who fell over because he was in balance. But that being said, at the end of the day, my name is the one etched in the scrolls of history. Back in those early days of BJ competitions in Australia, such a result wouldn't happen these days. That's the only gold I've ever won, apart from a few silvers in my weight division, which also I'm really proud of. I never really have done that well at comps. And that's okay by me. I just haven't had the time over the years to focus on competition training. So, I don't really ever say anything about that lucky day, as I know I really shouldn't have won that day. If I fought that fight a thousand times, I would absolutely lose 999 of those, not dismissing the greatness of my day. That's just the facts. As the years have gone by, however, my old team remembers the years pass, the natural attrition and turnover of team members within the gym occur, and every now and then, amongst the banter of the changing room, one of my old teammates brings up this competition win, a remember win moment. But it is not told as it happened. The story has grown over the years, as stories do. Instead, the story now goes something like this. Yeah, he entered the Victorian State Championship, dominated and smashed all the guys in his path, defeated Beast in the quarters and semis, and smashed a huge, bigger Beast in the finals of the Absolute Division. That guy, he is a legend. This has been Matt Tales. Some of the names and places may have changed. We may, in fact, have taken some creative liberties with the story. In order to keep Matt Tales going, we need more tales. Tales from listeners like you. Send your tales to bjjbrick at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your amazing stories. That was a fun Matt Tales, and I think that's a good reminder that not all the Matt Tales need to be like a tragic event or these kind of a weird situation. That was basically a win. Definitely, he was still lighthearted about it. He didn't go in there and destroy everybody, and you know he still kind of poked fun at himself and had fun with it. But he did great, and he's in the story. He does get past a lot of. He does have several matches in this absolute division. And he does get past a lot of people, and he and, and that's one weird thing about doing a uh, tournament. Sometimes you feel like that your matches were were easy. I know that wasn't a very good match. That person wasn't at my level, and then it's like that's what you're here for. He's at the same level you are. You had a great match. That's what a great match feels like. Like you're kind of outclass somebody. And and Gary and I have been uh, privileged enough to see some pictures from these tournaments or from this tournament. <laughs> yeah, the definitely. guys were huge. <laughs> How much bigger, Gary, would you say these guys were than him, the last two guys? Man, I mean, the last two guys were, you know, 
look like double the size. Uh, one of the guys actually scared me just looking at a picture. You know, I, I tapped out just looking at the picture. So, uh, you know, great job. And, you know, like Byron says, he, he's poking fun of, of himself while doing it and everything. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, everything falls into your favor. Yep, you got to be there. And he did the hard work beforehand, and he got through a little bit of uh, uneasy stomach situations. And, yep, a uh, little fish and chips. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, uh, th- thanks for the Matt Tales. We look forward to getting more of them. Uh, from you guys, but really we need you guys to send those in and uh, to get this keep this going. And it's been we kind of had a dry spell a couple months back or a month back or so. We didn't have any for several months, and uh, I think we've got a few a few kind of in the works. So that's nice. Yep. And every time you do send in one, it's just less time that Byron has to uh, make fun of me and pick on me with the uh, uh, fake audiobook. So uh, <laughs> definitely keep them coming. We do appreciate that. I want to mention that I am teaching a seminar June 17th. This is a unique seminar that uh, if you're in the area, I really want you to consider coming if you're able to. Uh, this is a Bring Your Dad to Jiu-Jitsu Day. It's the day before Father's Day. It's a Saturday, 11 o'clock in the morning at Fox Fitness. If you're anywhere in the area and you're able to make it and uh, you have a dad that is also able to make it, that would be awesome. I look forward to, to getting some people on the mat and getting their dads on the mat as well. I was reflecting about how I would like to roll with some certain people, and you know, obviously some celebrities pop up and some big names pop up, and and not too much further down the list. I'm thinking, man, I should really get my dad on the mat, not necessarily to roll with him, but just just uh, show him a little bit about what jujitsu is. And it's not that difficult of a thing for me to do. So. All I have to do is invite him, and he said yes, and we've got a few people also signed up with their dads. Uh, if you're not in the area, uh, tell your coach, hey, why don't we make the day before Father's Day, bring your dad to jiu-jitsu. It'd be really a fun way to just share what's so important to so many of us uh, with another person that is also important to us. Uh, and, you know, the great thing is if this is possible for you, you still have a dad that's around, you have a dad that lives nearby or is willing to do this, all those things fall in line. And uh, I think you should jump on the opportunity because next year, you know, things change. And uh, so that's why I'm happy to do this this year. It's a free seminar. If you're in the area, stop on by and uh, we'd be happy to have you and your dad. Gary and I have had a blast on this show today. And if uh, you're coming to the Wichita area, we'll do our best to ensure that you have a great time uh, doing that. Uh, we're in Wichita, Kansas, kind of in the middle of the United States. And if you come by, send us an email, bjbrick at gmail.com, or message us on our Facebook page, and we'll do our best to get with you and train a little bit, and that's always a great time. So uh, it, it, it's just fun, and the summertime, I know we get a little bit more travelers in, so the more people that we see that we actually uh, have as listeners, the more fun we have with that, and the, kind of the more interaction we get, and we could learn how to make the show even better. So uh, we always look forward to meeting you guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we love rolling with anybody who stops in town. Let us know, and uh, we always have a good time and always have fun. All right. I want you guys to stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to take an ice bath. Oh, nice. That's a bit chilly. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. All right, what do we have for you here at the end of the show? A hilarious prank, perhaps? Not quite. An attempted prank, yes. 
So as we're calling Miles, the phone's ringing, and Gary says, hey, we need to pretend to be somebody else. And that's all the prep work we did for this. And I'm not playing this because it's really that funny. I'm really just impressed by how well Miles handled it. He picked up the guy's name. He was in there. He he, he did a better job during our prank than we did. And uh, I was just impressed. He's a smart guy, and, and you can just watch him roll with these punches like it's something that he had been planning on doing. So uh, I'm playing this just because it's watch me fail at a joke. Gary does a pretty good job of disguising his voice, although Miles knows who's calling. And my voice has no disguise to it at all, my normal nasally self. So here's Miles uh, turning the tables on us and not getting pranked at all. Hey, what's up, you guys? Hi, uh, this is uh, John Wallace. Uh, I'm a supervisor from Skype. And we just need to clarify that this is a uh, is really Miles Brown. This is really Miles Brown. How's it going, John? Uh, doesn't sound like Miles Brown. I'd like to bring my supervisor on. <laughs> okay, go for it. Yeah, thank Hello, you. Uh, what, what seems to be a problem with your Skype account? <laughs> you need to put some quarters into the machine, please. Put quarters in the machine. Yes. Yes. Yep. Where's and the we, slot? We need your well. If you don't have a slot, we need your uh, your uh, no, your banking routing and account number. My social, routing social number, social security number as well. Yeah, yep, date of birth and uh, photo ID. <laughs> just just okay, put the, the the quarters in the back of your phone case, just in case you need them. <laughs> in case you have to use a payphone. All right, uh, where do I put in the credit card number, you guys? <laughs> Miles is like, man, last time I ever volunteered for this. <laughs> uh, what's awesome. happening, man? Uh, um, not much. Just finished up with training for the day, so good. Ready for this? How are you guys doing? 